Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Outside the Sheds. I'm your host. Some people call me your Shed Adamus. I'm not picking anything right now, so you can still call me that, but I am Corey Jackson, and you have immersed yourself into this rabid and out-of-control world of Outside the Sheds. And I hope you're all recovering from what we experienced last night, because I've got to tell you, coming into today's show, my mind was all over the place. I, I, I It's probably our first time together that I've kind of come into this in a lot of different places. And I know I, I prob- that might be because I feel like Brad Fittler right now, but it really was a night last night as we go into today's show where there were so many answers and questions that came out of a game, a series, really more so than I can ever remember, especially after leaving an Origin series. And as I and as I embark today with the show and, and we get into our 4020 and kind of break down everything that happened last night up in Brisbane, Brisby. There's a lot of areas and a lot of ways that we could go with it and, and, and we can go with the show today and and that I can drop my knowledge on you shedheads and we can discuss this and, and chop it all up. But I think the biggest way and, and where I think we should start is wasn't it incredible last night to see 49,100 fans, maybe not as much so if you were wearing the blue, but just fans in a stadium. Matter of fact, last night's game was the most fans we've had in a stadium to watch a sporting event since the pandemic hit. And by the way, it's still hitting. Ooh, that was an uppercut. Left cross. But anyway, the most amount of fans that we've had in a stadium. And it was strange. Cool, but strange. And it's it's crazy that we can say that because really this whole craziness hasn't even been going on a full year yet because don't forget last February I was still living good life and I haven't even hadn't even opened myself up to you beautiful loving shedheads but it was so different seeing so many people and almost having a feeling like wow can we really have that many people around each other and not be worried about contracting something. And I remember going into the pandemic, people saying, it's going to affect you for years to come because of our mindset. And and that's kind of what I went into the night last night thinking as I was seeing the tons of cars pulling into Suncorp and, and all the people going in. And I was watching some of the pre-game shows, uh, you know, with when I saw... Uh, Corey Parker out there and, 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 you know, great beard, by the way, Corey, great beard. But, you know, it was just, it was just so different. And it just shows you how our norms can change in such a short period of time. 
But it was intriguing to see that many people. It was that intriguing to see that many people hopped up on Triple X Gold. It was that exciting to to really wonder what the next two and a half, three hours was going to encompass to end the rugby league season down under. And the big question was, was this Maroons team that had been called the worst put together Queensland Maroons team in the history of state of origin going to rise to what they call the most important thing for a Queensland player to do, and that is to put on that Maroons jersey. And were they going to defend their fort, their home, Queensland? Because they really were, I don't want to say outgunned, but the experience definitely was on the Blues side. And after the Blues throttled them in Sydney a week ago, we didn't know how Cameron Munster was going to look after he left the game, even though they, you know, word came out that he did pass his HIA. But again, Wayne Bennett being Wayne Bennett held Cameron Munster out of the game, the rest of the game, probably knowing that he was playing with house money going back home to Brisbane. And then you had the other side of the story, the Blues. And the Blues had to do something that a lot of coaches and teams would always say you don't do. Because of the mandates that the, the, the premier of Queensland had put into quote-unquote record law, the Blues had to fly into Queensland and only arrived at the stadium about three hours before kickoff. Now, if you talk to most coaches, they'll always tell you that they want to always get to a destination the night before any big game so you can actually wake up at that that place that that area that you're going to play and that you don't have to worry about travel and and being cramped up on a plane and you know shifting of you know being up high to being down all that stuff coaches will and, and you have to understand where Brad Fittler comes from Fiddler's the guy that likes to have his team walk around on the pitch, on the grass, barefoot, so they can feel where they're going to be, so they can actually visualize the match. He's very much into that, almost a holistic way of, of coaching. So him having to bring his team in and back against the wall, because this has not been done since 2005. that a Blues team had come in and won a decider on Queensland soil. So history was already against the Blues. And to make them have to break protocol of how they normally would approach coming into a big game scenario, you knew that just thing after thing after thing was not really falling in line for the Blues. But on paper, they had the better team. And I have to tell you, running out onto the field, seeing the teams running out onto the field, you just had that feeling that the Blues were going to have to weather the storm. That if they were going to win this match, it was going to have to be like one of those old 1970s heavyweight title fights that you see on old school television 
of Muhammad Ali getting into one of these matches where he might have not had the the best punching power in the ring, but was going to have to lay on the ropes a little bit and to drag this match out into deep water, which means snatching a a victory late, but that they were going to have to weather the storm early on. The emotion was going to be 100% behind the Queensland Maroons team. And truthfully, out of the box, that's what happened. Truthfully, out of the box, Queensland controlled the match, controlled the game, and scored within the first three minutes with, again, Valentine Holmes scoring another try in his illustrious Maroons career. I'm a big Val Holmes fan, and, and, I, and I, I would never tell someone not to follow their dream, but you just wonder where Val Holmes would still be at right now if he wouldn't have taken that year or so off to try to follow his dream to being a New York Jet. And the question is, would Val Holmes still follow that dream if they would have told him he would have to be a New York Jet? Because I don't know if he would. Because the Jets are going to jet, if you know what I mean. But Val Holmes scores. The crowd is behind him. Now they're in even more of a fever pitch. And, and you would think that the best case scenario for the Blues would have been for them to score first. To try to take that crowd out. Take a little bit of the fire out of that crowd. But that didn't happen. Val scores. Then converts his, his try. Maroons are up 6 nothing. And then after that point, you just kind of wonder, you know, what's what's going to happen after this? Because Queensland really looked like they were in control. And, and even though the more experienced team would have been considered the Blues team, they're still kind of a young team. I'm saying you, you've got the Habs combination that don't have a lot of origin experience. You have Tedesco captain, you know, captaining the side with only his second captain appearance, even though you know, you could say that he has been the best player on the field in the last two to three years in rugby league, truthfully. But you just, just had a bad sensation for the Blues after that point. And then all of a sudden, Cleary puts a kick up. Corey Allen playing his first match for the Maroons, fumbles the kick, and and Tedesco scores a try. That's converted by Cleary, and it's 6-6. And we're only nine minutes into this. And you're going, huh, well, what are we about ready to experience now? Because the Blues have not been in this match, but somehow are are, are tied. But then the game-defining moment to me in this entire match or series happened at the 19-minute mark when James Tedesco took a Josh Papali knee to the head and then was ragdolled by Jairo after he was laying motionless and prone on the ground. And when you saw the hit replayed, you quickly knew Teddy wasn't coming back. And I think I was actually writing something down after I saw it and didn't even see that Jairo had picked him up originally and kind of shook him and threw him down. And I'm going to say something right now. I've watched Jairo play with the Titans. He may have had the most wor- the probably the worst haircut I've seen since Andre Agassi in 88 for most of this season with that, that mullet 
with a little bit of sh- shaved sides. But I've never once thought Jairo was a dirty player or a grubby player at all. And he really took a lot of sledge right after that happened about what he did to James Tedesco. And I love rough. I love toughness. And I think that's why most of us love origin is because the hits are bigger. There's always a little bit of fire and fight. You know, heck, we were, we're still talking about the, the biff that happened in origin too, hoping that maybe we're going to see that type of vitriol in this game as well. But I I didn't see or take away. Should he have done it? No. Jairo shouldn't have done it. But if you watch Jairo's reaction right after that, where he knows after he did it, James Tedesco doesn't move, and then he motions that he needs help, that is not the reaction of a guy that's just trying to be nasty and dirty. That's not the reaction of a guy that, as, 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 as Freddie Fittler says after has a character issue. I, I don't see it that way. Should he have done it? No. But there's a lot of things that players do that they shouldn't have done or shouldn't do. Um, and and I don't see Jairo, what he did, as being over-the-top malicious. Now, he did cop a, a $550 or a, to $750 fine for it for a, a grade, I think it was a grade one they charged him with. So he did get charged for that but he's not going to face any time he's not going to get banned for that but I think the most important thing and sad thing about that is that we weren't going to be able to finish watching an origin player with with all of the teams playing with all of their ammunition and now you have to think the Blues now have lost two captains in three games and I and I don't know can can you literally tell me, Shedheads, you knew who was going to be the, the, the next captain up for the Blues? I I didn't know. It, it, it kind of, who knows? It looked like Cleary was taking some of it. I, I don't know. But the worst part about it and the, and, the, and the worst part about the scenario was that Teddy was gone. And then it comes into why it's so important who you name on your bench. Because you've heard me talking about Ryan Pappenhaus all through the playoffs. Your Clive Churchill medal winner. But Ryan Pappenhausen was not on the bench for the Blues. And that meant that King Gutho, another player who you know I'm a big fan of, was going to move back into the fullback position for the Blues. And, 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 and let's be honest. Gutho did a good job at fullback. Was he was he Tedesco? No, but he was your daily M fullback of the year. But the thing is, when you're mentally not set to be the fullback and you're thinking you're going to have to kind of play out of position in the centers and all of a sudden you're thrust back in there, it's a total different mind switch you have to do. It's just a total different mindset. And... The Blues showed weakness on that right side. I'm saying Josh Adokar had to come up time and time again in defense. And, and, and everyone forgets that Josh Adokar never talked about it, but was in a boot, was in a moon boot after Origin 2. So you know the guy's already playing hurt. We don't know if he took the needle in the, in the, in the toe joint or what. But, but the Fox was not at 100%. 
And I know everyone says that when you play rugby league, you're never 100% after the game one. But still, for him to have to now cover that position, for a player that comes in to take a center's position who is really a front rower, or, or you know, a guy that is a front back rower who's really not a center type player, they're, you know, and, and, and now you're going up against a Cameron Munster player, a, a player that is brilliant in the attack, a player that quickly knows who's on the field and where to take the attack to. So the Blues were in trouble, and they were going to be in trouble, and after the match, Cooper Cronk said you can't make excuses for that, and and I agree with Cooper Cronk. You can't make excuses for losing players. That's what that's what happens in rugby league. But the but the thing is, and then I'll point out to Cooper Cronk what happened to the Maroons in Game Two when they last lost Cameron Munster early on. Think about that for a second. Think about that. Anyway, we go back to the action, and I will say. To me, the two biggest and most pivotal points of the match yesterday was one, Tedesco going down, and two, the birth of Harry Grant in state of origin play. Now, if you follow the season, you knew that Harry Grant was a coup for the Tigers this year to come, in, to come up there on loan from Melbourne. And most of the year, he played incredibly well. Well, last night we got to see on the on the biggest stage of them all in Origin, and he caused a difference in attack the whole rest of the game. Even when they did bring Jake Friend back in later, Harry Grant was still a spark plug. He's a live wire, folks, and a live wire. Out a dummy half is dangerous and it changes the way that you have to defend a team. Let alone he, he can make all the tackles that he needs to make. But you see the dilemma the Melbourne Storm have been with this whole Cameron Smith retiring, not retiring. You know, they do not want to lose Harry Grant down in Melbourne because no one wants to follow a legend. But when you have a live wire like that, He's never going to be Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith is going to be an immortal. But he can be Harry Grant, and that looks pretty damn impressive to me. And you can ask everybody that wore that, wore that maroon jersey last night how impressive that was. So that dummy half change really changed the ebb and flow of the game because now, unlike Jake Friend, you have a dummy half that can explode out of that position after every play of the ball. And it looked like the Blues were, were again, against the ropes, but still staying, blocking punches. And Cleary hit, the 40, hit a 40-20 in the 30th minute. And it looked, you know what? They still are in this, and they just won't go away. And they might have some class that might take them over this crowd and over this, this daunting task they had of losing their captain and their fullback. And in the, th- in the 34th minute again, 
Josh Adokar preventing a try for Val Holmes. And you got to feel bad for Val Holmes again, even though he got that first try. How many how many drops or flubs did, did Val have in the game yesterday where he just seemed like he was just a tad bit off? And if you watched Val play in origin up until the game last night, that's one thing Val Holmes does not do in origin is drop the ball or have miscues. The guy seems to rise like a lot of Queensland players at the biggest moments. And he just kept missing last night, even though he did get that first try. But thank God for him because his conversions after each one of the tries put them over the top, by the way. But then we go back to brilliance. And again, going against what Cooper Cronk said about Tedesco, that you have to step up. That player from Origin 2 that we didn't get to see for 98% of the game, Cameron Munster, late in the first half, had maybe the most brilliant play of the entire series. Running down the left side, putting two kicks in. One of them was a split-second kick. A lot of people think that first kick was a miscue. But then changing the field with a kick all the way across the field that Edrick Lee put down for a try might, uh, to me, have been the biggest moment of the entire series. And it let the Maroons go in a half up 12-6. to six. And I really have to say that I didn't know what we were going to get in the second half after that moment. But watching great players rise to the occasion. And I have seen Cameron Munster do this time and time again. I've talked to you for the last few weeks about his incredible mustache. What well, we saw, he was back to the boy, the boy band looks. He was clean shaven for this. But Cameron Munster, to me, is one of my favorite players to watch because you just don't know what type of brilliance he's going to show. Is it going to be a kick? Is it going to be a run? He's not the biggest guy, but he still always seems like he can hold his own by fending off tackles. No, he never is put down by just one guy. He's got the quick feet, the high knees. He's special. And that is what you lose when you lose a Tedesco, when you lose a Cameron Munster. You lose those players that can be the difference in bringing a team over the top. And going into the second half, one team had that player and one team didn't. And that's what we got to experience because pretty much we continue to hold serve the rest of the first 20 minutes of the second half until Val Holmes kicked a penalty try in the 57th minute, putting the the Maroons up 14-6. to six. And then here comes that live wire I'm talking to you about again with Harry Grant, 62nd minute, getting a try. Off, off of sheer will, you look at the guy when he stands next to most other players, he's small. I'm saying he's he's not a tall guy. He looks like he's 12, but he's just got that it factor. And he scores. 
a try that was very, very close to him not even making the try line, but he made it. And that put Queensland up 20-6. to The crowd was on fire. But deep down, this Blues team, being coached by Freddie Fittler, you just had a feeling they had to react and had to react then. You didn't know how it was going to happen. Gus Gould even said they've got to go now if they're going to do anything. And they did. They showed heart. They showed fight. And just three minutes later, Daniel Tupo scores a try. Blood pouring from his face from a, from a, from a hard hit that he had received. But he scored a try. And we've got a 2012 game. And then we go back to the 70th minute where Val Holmes could have pretty much iced the game away with a Corey Allen pass that he drops in the end goal line. And that moments like that, I, I told, we've talked about this before, Shedheads, the timestamps where you go, huh, is this a moment we're going to go back and go, wow, is that really going to come back and, and really bite the Maroons? Are they going to really... That could cost them. Because in the 72nd minute, Nathan Cleary gets a penalty goal. And we've got a six-point ball game with about eight minutes to go. And it's anybody's game in the standpoint where the Blues are now firing down the field. The Blues have a little bit of belief that they're back in this. They're only a try down. And Queensland was was starting to get a tad bit tired. Let's be honest, both teams were very tired. But one team was playing with emotion at this time, at this point. And when Josh Adokar got the professional foul on him and got taken out, and let's be honest, shot up with Horth tranquilizers, Fox tranquilizers and that big toe, I don't know what it is. He's still the fastest guy on the field. And that they took him out, it's hard to say that Josh Adokar does not get there and score a try off of that kick. Professional foul puts Corey Allen in the bend for 10. And then there's another foul a little bit later that should have also been a bend sending offense that, that the Maroons got away with. But no matter what, Queensland dug in and held out the Blues. Even with some crazy, you know, can Origin ever end without a crazy ending? Two out of the three matches end with the whistle being put away. And even though on the challenge last night, as time expired, it was still proven in the fact that Nathan Friend did hit the ball, but time had expired. And the Maroons win. 2014. There's so much to take away from that match, you know, and, and I, I have to tell you, I was so excited for Daily Cherry Evans because the guy has copped so much, and we've talked about this earlier again. He's copped so much. And following a, a, a Cameron Smith as a, as the captain for for Queensland, something that Every kid that plays rugby league in Queensland dreams of being able to do someday. Being c- 
called the captain of the worst team in Queensland history. And, 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 and Daily Cherry Edmonds has taken, taken some sledging. He's taken some, some slack, some, some, some criticism for some of his play in origin. But he was solid the entire series. And to see him being able to lift the trophy last night, you had to feel happy for him. You had to feel happy for him. Now, Maroons, you, you almost killed your coach, though. Let's be honest here. Wayne Bennett is a 70-plus-year-old man, and you guys poured almost an entire bucket of Gatorade. I don't care what raid it was. It was extreme cold water on his back in a pandemic. And he turned with a smile on his face, but I was thinking that he was about ready to fall over and we were going to have to say clear and and restart him up there for a second. I, I got a little nervous. But Wayne, again, living off of that excitement, the pure joy of doing what no one really thought was possible, doing something for a Queen, Queenslander, which is the most important thing, and that's putting on that jersey and bringing home a state of origin trophy. Being able to sit up on stage with your teammates and sing Yippee Yippee-Yi, Yippee Yippee-Kai, as they do. Um, it was pretty powerful. And no matter if you're a Blues supporter or Maroon supporter, to watch a team that no one gives a, a shot to do what a lot of people, and a lot of people probably lost a lot of money if they put money down early in the series, is always exciting in sport. And it makes you happy to watch sport. Because I, I, I that's what I love about the game. All games. But seeing teams lift, seeing teams come together as a team to produce results. To me, that's what's beautiful. And then you see Cameron Munster drop an F-bomb up on stage after he wins the Wally Lewis medal. And then puts an in a little sledge at the Tigers when, when he says Harry Grant's going nowhere uh, on the microphone too. It, gets, it just gets better, doesn't it, Tiger Nation? But it had everything. This origin series had everything. From the Biff to incredible play, Nathan Cleary in Game 2, Cameron Munster in Game 3, Harry Grant in Game 3, Josh Adokar scoring try after try after try, the Maroons blooding in 14 debutantes for this series. It's... It was an incredible series. It really was. Now, I think we all have to be honest saying the game last night wasn't the greatest game of origin we've ever seen. But it still got us and gave us those origin moments. Those moments where we didn't know what was going to happen. Those moments where we saw greatness rise to the top. Those moments where we didn't know if certain guys were going to get back up. And some of them didn't. And that is why State of Origin, to me, is maybe the greatest event, three-game event, in sports. And right now, 
in this year, that is about the only thing that we can say was guaranteed we were going to get. Was Origin was going to be Origin. And it was incredible. Now we know next year, Origin 2021 is going to go back to happening in the halfway point of the season. We don't know who the coach of the Maroons is going to be. There had been talk that Wayne was going to be back, and there's talk now that they're not sure. Darren Lockyer has always already said that he thinks it's going to be tough for Wayne to be the coach for the Rabbitohs and also be the coach for the Maroons because it's happening in the halfway point, and that means he's going to either have to leave the Bunnies camp to take up the Origin camp and leave it, I don't know, to, you know, it's just going to take a lot to do both. And then Brad Fittler. You know, a lot of talk had come out this week that, that, that Freddie wants to coach in the NRL again. He has not coached an NRL club since he was with the Roosters in 2009. And you've already got people throwing insult to him that, you know, he had four big guys on the bench and, and didn't carry Ryan Pappenhausen. And it makes you wonder, what happens if Pappenhausen plays last night? And if Gutho does get to stay at centers? You know, it's just things like that. That's what, you know, that's what makes Origin beautiful. Because there are going to be moments that happen in that series that are going to have lasting effect, especially in the fact that it could lose a game. And losing a game in the series means you could possibly lose a series. And when we go back and look at it, the Blues not playing the way the Blues possibly could play in Origin 1 cost them the series. They should have never been put to the point of having to go up to Queensland to win Game 3. They should have taken care of business in Adelaide and, and got over the top, but they didn't. And to me, that's where the wild card coach like Wayne Bennett added to the Queensland side. I don't want to say he outcoached Brad Fittler, but I will say that he got his team to rise in different moments where they needed him to be that coach. He took the pressure off his young team. He made it fun for his young team. He took away a lot of the outside fluff for his young team and they produce for him and they produce for him so that was origin Shedheads that was it and I hope you guys got to take it in I hope you guys got to watch what to me like I said might be the three greatest game the three game series to me that is the greatest probably in sport today but we have a few other things in the 4020s besides origin. Josh Alloway for the Tigers is now doing a hard line stance saying that he will never put on a Tigers jersey again. And there's been rumor that he wants to go to Manly. And the reason I'm bringing this up right now in the 4020 isn't really about him. It's about something I think that Rugby League and Down Under and the NRL is getting wrong. And I think that 
it is a no-brainer if you sign a contract for a certain amount of time that players are forcing their way, Ryan Matheson last year, are able to force their way out of contracts after they sign them with clubs and, and, been able, and being able to maneuver to other teams. And I don't know, that's the one thing, two things that I would change about it. That's one of them. The other one is is negotiating contracts during the season to play for another club, but then saying that you're still playing all out for the club that you're with. I think there should be an off-season trade negotiation time, and there should not be any of that during the season. Guys shouldn't be able to sign contracts to start playing the next season with another club while they're still contracted to that club. You can't get me to believe that that doesn't affect a player's mindset. No matter how much they say I'm all in with my club that I'm with now. Because if you're all in, why are you thinking about your contract for next year? And that's something I think the NRL is not getting right. And and one of the good things about the NRL and Peter Volandis is they listen to fans and they listen to what they feel is right or wrong. Now, they can't make every decision on what fans want. But to me, this is detrimental to the game. This is detrimental to clubs. And I'm a guy that is a guy that says players should be able to get as much money as they possibly can. But there's a time and a place for all of it. And if this happens again to the Tigers, back-to-back years, you know, they say that they're going to hold firm and he can cut the grass at Leichhardt if he wants to, but he's staying under contract. But again, that goes back to, do you really want a guy that does not want to put your jersey on putting your jersey back on? And the Tigers get themselves in this trouble a lot. It's their it's their fault in a lot of ways. I'm saying they mishandled Benji Marshall. And we don't, you know, we've talked time and time again this year about players that were Tigers that are playing all around the NRL that are playing Origin. The Tigers didn't have one player in Origin camps this year, besides Harry Grant, who really they don't own. He's a Melbourne Storm player. That's got to tell you something. That's got to tell you something. But to me, this is a bigger problem than Josh Alloway. This is a problem on how contracts, how negotiation, and things that are allowed that I think shouldn't be allowed. It's not allowed in any other sport that I that I can that I know that guys are negotiating and know they're going to play for another team while still playing for a team early on in a season. So we'll have to monitor that because this could be a a major defining period in in time for the NRL and free agency and and contract renegotiations and negotiations. So that brought to close my 4020 for this week. And I told you since that closes the season – for both of our games that we talk about here in great detail on Outside the Sheds, the AFL, the NRL, we're going to be talking up until camps kick in for these next coming weeks about the off season, about player movement. We're really going to delve into next week some player movement in the AFL with their trade 
and and off season negotiations and drafts and and everything that's been going down down there. But we're going to talk about that in some detail next week, and we're going to have some breakdowns, and we're going to talk about some players that I think are going to be some major, major signings with new clubs and and some guys that probably should have not gone anywhere um, and what that's going to mean to some of these clubs. So that's going to be exciting. We're going to get into that in great detail. But let's go on to the guns for Origin 3. And to me, like Origin 2, it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy for me because my number one gun to start it off was your Wally Lewis medal winner, Cameron Munster. And it's crazy to think that Cameron Munster, to me, wins the Wally Lewis when he only plays about a game and a half. He doesn't play all of Origin 2. But if that doesn't tell you how important one game can be in a series, to me, that does it right now. But Cameron Munster had 113 running meters, one try assist, three tackle breaks, one steal, 16 tackles, 423 kicking meters, and one forced dropout. And if you want to tell me or not tell me that he made up for being out of Origin 2, you better come again. Because Cameron Munster did what Cameron Munster does best on the big stage. And I think we saw him have a all right game in the grand final against Penrith. But I think to me that shows you how bad that knee might have still been because he really didn't have that game that I was expecting from Cameron Munster. Fortunate they're in the Melbourne Storm and they do what they do. But this was more to me a representation of the player that Cameron is and it's going to be and he made sure he pointed out when he was up on stage yesterday that this is the first trophy without the big the big guys the big three without Cameron Smith Cooper Cronk Billy Slater this was it this was the changing of the guard and with these 14 debutants that you saw Cameron Munster, Daily Cherry Evans. Wow. Queensland's got to feel pretty darn good about themselves. But Cameron Munster easily was my number one gun for the week and for Origin 3. My number two was the little general himself, Harry Grant. And what's scary about it is there's already talk that people say that Harry Grant will probably be the hooker dummy half for the next 10 years for the Queensland Maroons. And if you think about that, that's got to put fear into the Blues, the Blues faithful. But Harry Grant had one try, 80 running meters, two line breaks, two line break assists, three tackle breaks, 48 dummy half running meters, 33 tackles, and 25 kicking meters. For a guy that started on the bench, by the way, A guy that, not that Jake Friend had a bad game, but so much so that you didn't even notice Jake Friend much in the game. Harry Grant, Daily Cherry Evans, Cameron Munster, and whoever they put back, you know, whoever's going to be the fullback next year, 
You know, because you can go three different ways with that. But that spine looks pretty damn tough, to put it plain and simple. And if the Habs can get it right for the Blues, this next five years of origin is going to be off off the hook. It's going to be crazy. We could we could be seeing a flip flop of of the Origin Trophy year after year, but I think that's what's going to make Origin beyond exciting these next five five to seven years. My number three gun was a man that got blooded in for Origin three. Edric Lee, and Edric Lee's had a tough year. He's been injured some. He probably hasn't had this, didn't have the season that he wanted with Newcastle. But to me, Edric Lee has always been that player that I don't think has seen himself as being a player that can just be dominant. Even I think, even though I think he's got all the intangibles to be that. He's tall, he's strong, he's fast, he's got great dreadlocks. Edric Lee can be special. But Edric Lee needs to be seen that way by the coach that he's playing with or playing for. But last night, Edric Lee had one try that the emotion of that try and the way that his teammates reacted from that try tells you everything about what they think of Edric Lee. He was playing with a heavy heart because his parents couldn't be there to see his first match. He had 83 running meters, 24 kick return meters, one tackle break, and four tackles. But that one tackle that he did, one of those four, he rocked the ribs of a blue. And I just think that every time Edric Lee needed to show up last night for a guy that it was his first match in the, in the, in the state of origin arena, he answered the bell. And for a guy that was a, hmm, I don't know what's going to happen with that guy. Some people thought of, I knew Edric Lee was going to step up. I've watched him since he was back at Canberra. He's got that potential. And if he could just get a break, not literally because he's been injured, I think he can be very, very special. And I hope that this performance that he just put in last night is a springboard for some incredible things for him to come in the near future. Hopefully an incredible season next year for Newcastle. Hopefully he stays healthy because that's one of the things about getting a big break is staying healthy in the game of rugby league. But first off, congratulations to all three of these Maroons, all three of these guns. But most importantly, thank you for an incredible origin series. We go this week to outside the bubble. And we're going to go across the pond. No, we're not going to America. What am I going to talk about there? I'm not recounting votes. Are you kidding? No. We are going to the UK. We are going to the cousin. We are going to the Super League. 
We're going to continued playoffs. We're going to a restructured playoff playoff format. I hope I just made it so enticing with that last presentation. But let's talk Super League playoffs. Super League playoffs kicked off last week with Hull, a team that came in as a team no one really thought was going to be there. Hull FC against Warrington. And Warrington is kind of an, an enticing club because they have some players that play in the NRL. Some players that that I don't know if they really want to come back down under again. But a lot of times, a lot of these players leave the NRL, go up and play Super League because they're re- trying to reposition and rebrand themselves to come back and playing back home. But Hull upset Warrington 27-14. And a lot of people thought that Warrington was just going to ride over the top because they thought Hull, the only chance they had was to go right down the middle with their bigs. And I think a lot of people thought the class of Warrington's backs was going to take them over the top. And it didn't happen. And I have to admit, I sat down and was pretty intrigued with both of these matches this week in the Super League. But Hull out-bullied Warrington. And I really, truthfully, like a lot of the pundits, I really thought that the Warrington halves would get around and and would show their master class and would come out on the other end. But Hull just would not go away. And Hull wouldn't let them off the hook. And I've got to tell you something. Hull plays Wigan tomorrow. You can watch that on Fox Soccer Channel. I think the kickoff is 2.30 in the Central Daylight Time, 3.30 Eastern. But it's going to be a very curious match because Hull is on a winning streak and Wigan should be the master class there. But don't forget, I always talk about intangibles. And a lot of people overlook Hull. But the thing I want to point out is the grand final is not at Wembley Stadium this year. It's not at Old Trafford this year. The grand final is at Hull FC's home stadium. And they're one win away from playing a grand final no one would have ever remotely thought of them making it to at home. Now, you've got to say easily Wigan is the favorite. But have you ever seen a team, a player, a person fight to get back home? And you don't think that's going to really kick in in this crazy 2020 year? I don't know. There's just something to me that 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 just feels that that Hull FC is going to find a way into the final. And I know that's crazy. Jackson Hastings, you know, is the the man, you know, the the man of steel for the Super League. An incredible half. Bevan French, a lot of those players. They're a special team, Wigan. But a team that has belief and a team that wants to go home, you better watch out for. 
Now, I jumped all over the board there. But I kept, I stayed in the same lane somewhat. The second game that happened last Friday was the Catlins Dragons taking on the Leeds Rhinos. And again, we go with some players that have some NRL pedigree to them. To me, one of the biggest ones is one of the biggest winners in NRL, to me, history, James Maloney. A guy, to me, who doesn't get enough respect. A guy, to me, who doesn't look like he's much of an athlete, but is a winner. James Maloney is a winner. Plain and simple. I was fortunate enough enough to see James Maloney lead the Roosters to the 2013 Grand Final in the halves with Mitchell Pierce. Sunday, SBW. But James Maloney will always take a stupid penalty, let's be honest. Will always have some type of cut or nick on his face. He had a good gash this last week. But he's a winner. He's a winner. And he's something Catalans has not had for years. It was something they were hoping they got when they got Todd Carney a few years ago. And Todd had some some good games for him. But the pedigree of James Maloney, that belief and that feeling that it's just a game, but I win games. And that's what you're seeing with Catalans. They got him and Drinkwater in the halves, and I think Drinkwater's a guy that really gets overlooked a lot. They've got some bigs. And they took it to Leeds. They took it to Leeds. Leeds was never in that match. And the only thing that had people worried was sometimes Catlins falls asleep mid-match. Sometimes you see them out there with their blanket and their their favorite woobie and pillow. And they just go to sleep right there on the pitch, on the field. And Leeds did score a try in the second half. They made you go, "Ah, well... But Catlins held on. The Catlins did more than just hold on. Catlins was in control. And now Catlins takes on St. Helens this coming week. A St. Helens club on this Friday that are playing at home. A St. Helens club that won the competition last year. And you just you just wonder. You just wonder. And I'm going to tell you something. I have not been your Shed Adamas for a few weeks, and I know you guys have really, really missed that. But I, for some reason, see Catlins beating St. Helens as well. And I see Catlins playing Hull. And why wouldn't you see those two teams playing in 2020, right? Why would you? Why would it be anything else? We just finished an Origin series where the club was allegedly the worst team to ever lace up boots in the history of the competition. So why can we not see a Catalans Dragons versus Hull FC Grand Final, Super League Final, whatever you want to call it? But that's what I'm calling. I'm calling it, Shedheads. 
And I think it's going to be an exciting, an exciting match when it happens. But we've got to get through this. I'm jumping ahead. I'm already letting you cash out your winnings. But I feel that that's going to happen. My second big point in Outside the Bubble this week is something that just broke a couple days ago that Ian Watson, the head coach of the Sulphur Red Devils, has stepped away from the club. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. I'm saying he had him in the Challenge Cup. I'm saying Ian Watson has re-kickstarted a Salford Red Devils side that hadn't had much to talk about for the last, I don't know how many years. They haven't done anything without Ian Watson as their coach. And it looks like he is going to take on a position, a new challenge, and it looks like it's going to be at Huddersfield. But shocking. I, 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 can't, I can't stress how shocking it is to see Ian Watson go away. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if he didn't get... You know, we never know unless you're inside that shed, right? But it really shocked me that Ian Watson is leaving Salford. Because to me, it just seemed like he was a Salford man through and through. But it's not the case. And he is be looking, I would say, probably word dropping tomorrow. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear it at the pregame for uh, tomorrow's Wigan Hall match. So be looking for that, um, where he actually signs on paper to, to coach next year. But Ian Watson is now gone. And where does Salford go from there? Where do, you know, who do they poach? Who do they go and to try to grab? To, to steer a club that's been a pretty darn good club the last few years. I'm saying they played in the grand final last year, in, in the Super League final. Really shocking. Really shocking. And then last but not least, we'll come across to the divided states and we'll talk about the biggest thing in sports right now that's going on, and it's happening today. Matter of fact, it's happening as I'm talking to you right now, Shedheads. The NBA draft. And everyone's going to tell you that there's not a LeBron in this draft, there's not an MJ in this draft. But they were having a draft. And it looks like Anthony Edwards probably is going to be the number one choice selected. Because I am giving you 100% of my attention, Shedheads. I don't have my computer up in front of me. I'm not clicking on anything else. This has already happened. But it looks like, as I came to speak to you, that Anthony Edwards is going to be the number one player taken by the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were still on the phone talking about a possible trade, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. But you, you wonder about James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Obi, out of, day, out of Dayton. Where these players are going to go and what this is going to mean for the future going on because we don't have a summer league. We don't have a spring league. We don't have a lot of these smaller leagues for these guys to get some playing. I'm saying some of these guys have not played an organized professional game or semi-professional, sorry, NCAA, since, since March. So a lot of the I'm going to say it. Talk has been talk. These guys haven't been able to work out for clubs. They've had to sell themselves from what they say they can bring to a club or an organization. So I don't know what you're going to get. I know that they say there's going to be more trades that happen in this first round of the NBA draft that have happened maybe in the history of the draft. 
And we don't know if James Harden, like we talked about last week, is going to go to Brooklyn or if he's going to go anywhere. I heard a crazy rumor that the Beard might be going to the Golden State Warriors. I don't think that'll ever happen. But just that that talk is out there is insane. But the draft is happening. And it'll be fun to see and to write down now and then look back five years from now about what some of these guys are doing. So make sure you pay attention to that shed heads about a little bit of round ball. A league that's about ready to go into preseason training. A league that's going to start preseason games on December 13th and start their league on December 22nd. Don't know how this is going to work, but by God, it looks like we're going into 2021 with as much freaking rock salt and freaking uh, toot up our nose as, as, as ever before. Who knows what we're about ready to experience, and I was hoping it was going to calm down, but it does not look like we're anywhere closer to coming back to normalcy anywhere. But that being said, right before I came on the microphone to talk to you shedheads in Outside the Bubble today, word just came down that Clay Thompson from the Golden State Warriors in a pickup game workout just injured himself. A right leg injury. I guess it's the opposite leg than he blew his knee out. But that Clay Thompson couldn't put weight on his leg and that this could be a bad 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 situation for Clay Thompson. And I hope that's not the case. I really really hope that's not the case. I'm a big big Clay Thompson fan. I really like him as a player. He's fun to listen to. Um and I know how hard he's worked to get back out on the court. Um but that's devastating. That's devastating news for the Golden State Warriors. And I, this is a Golden State team that had really pinpointed this 2021 season as a year to take back something they felt they should have never lost. And the only reason they lost it was because of injuries. So be looking at that. That's a huge story that was breaking that Clay Thompson injury. But that being said, Shedheads, that is bringing to a close another edition of your foray, your foray outside the norm of coming back into your family here and outside the sheds. As your shed Adamus, it's always been a pleasure talking to you. I want you guys to stay safe. I don't want you guys to have the shakes too much that we've just completed another rugby league season, AFL season, down, down under the NRL. It was already coming back into camp. So one thing I can guarantee you is we will be here for you again next week. We will come with as much thunder, power, and strength as usual. But until that time, Shedheads, stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. But this has been Corey Jackson. You've been listening outside the Sheds. I will see you next week. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 